Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, it's me here, Logan. Hi, how you doing? I uh, hope you're doing well. Um, we're still not able to get together to record. Uh, Sterling moved across country and doesn't have his mic with him. Um, also, I bought a house and I am in the process of moving. There are boxes all around me. And after I put this episode up, I'm probably going to pack up all my podcast stuff because I need to move in about four or five days here. So, um, yeah, we just haven't been able to get together to record a set of episodes. I put a poll up on the Instagram or on the Facebook and Discord just asking everyone, do you want me to release the one episode I have that continues our story or you'd rather us wait until we can record again and release them all in normal, you know, without any lapse of time? And everyone said, hey, just wait to release that episode, um, put out some Patreon episodes. If you're able to get together to record some, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, do it. I'm not sure if that one's going to be possible because, you know, we're, you know, I'm moving, Sterling's moving, I, I have no time. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, it's a big thing. Uh, So, yeah, so just going to put up a Patreon episode. Uh, Really, really appreciate everyone understanding. Uh, We didn't plan for this break to happen. We really didn't. It just kind of happened, and... Yeah, uh, hopefully, you know, September we can get together to record again. That's my plan. That's my hope. And then, you know, late September or October, we'll get back to recording. We'll get out. We'll get back to releasing episodes again for you. Um, So, again, thank you so much for your understanding. Uh, Quick couple things to plug. Um, The Make Fun Network is still going. Uh, Obviously, it's back up and going with new shows. Uh, I appeared on an episode of Encyclicomica, so you can check out that. It's a podcast where they talk about comic book stuff. Uh, we talked about like the San Diego Comic-Con when that happened a few weeks ago. Um, also, the new show, Make Fun Network Presents, or it's called MFN Presents. Uh, and Make Fun, yeah, MFN Presents. Uh, right now, I think it's just on Spotify, but I think you can find it on the other uh, catchers really soon, if not already. Um, and the first episode had myself, Ben, and Alec. We talked about the new Thor movie, and then... We're about to record another one. Um, right when I get done putting this up, we're going to record another one for the Make Fun Network. So you still get to hear my lovely voice. It's a fun one-shot of an RPG that Ben actually made. Uh, it's based on like American history, and you know, perfect to have that come out at the same time as this Patreon episode, because it's about American history. So, uh, you'll find that... I'm not sure when that'll be up, uh, but it should be up within the next week or so. I'm guessing Matt will want that out really soon. Um, also in June, uh, Mission Spooky, which Ben and I have both appeared on, uh, Ben's episode for his one-shot RPG with Cord, uh, their co-host Cord of Cord vs. Cryptid, uh, he fought the Beast of Bray Road, which is one of my favorite cryptids from Wisconsin, well, one of my favorite cryptids, slash, he's from Wisconsin. Uh, so you can find that at Mission Spooky, uh, the Beast of Bray Road episodes with Ben. Um, check out my other podcast, Godzilla Destroy All Podcasts, that's still going, um, that's once a month, so you can check that out, learn all about kaiju his, kaiju history and abilities and stuff. Um, I think that's all I got. Guys, thanks so much for understanding, and until we're able to record again, catch you later and stay sexy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Patreon bonus episode of Talking for Damage. Uh, It's Ben and I today. How you doing, Ben? 
I'm good. How are you? I'm good as well. So we're doing a little something different here today for the bonus episode on the Patreon. Uh, I'm a big fan of history. You are also a big fan of history, and you're a history teacher. Indeed, yes. So I thought today we could talk a little history. You okay with that? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Listener, you better be okay with it. Today you're going to learn a little something something. (laughs) So I messaged you setting this up. I'm like, hey... Let's talk about the War of 1812, because it's a kind of a forgotten war in American history. Would you agree? I agree. Yeah, and there's a good reason for that, which we will probably get into at some point during this. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's not part of our curriculum. Like, we don't really teach it to the kids. And to my knowledge, it's just kind of a footnote. Like, the old history teacher, Mr. Lubbin, would mention it for like 10 minutes. And then it's like, okay, on to the more important stuff. Yeah, that's 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 kind of how I was too. I remember in middle school we learned we learned it in the seventh grade for like a day or two, and then we moved on. And the only thing I remember about it, they taught us a song, something about um, in eighteen fourteen we took a little trip to go fight the British down the mighty Mississippi. We took a little pork, we took a little beans, we slaughtered all the British in the Battle of New Orleans or something like that. I wonder how that scans with. Gilligan's Island. It sounds like it's got kind of a similar beat. <laughs> oh, it might. <laughs> Gilligan's Island took it from that song. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so I I did a, a little bit of research about this before we got on. I've been editing the episode that comes out later today or tomorrow. So I haven't didn't I didn't do a bunch of research. Um, but it, it was uh, the president was was Monroe during the time I believe. Yes. And he's a short guy. He's like five four. Do you know that? Yeah, he's just a, you know, his political opponents would have described him as a South Pole elf. A South Pole elf. (laughs) Did they really describe him as that? (laughs) No, that's just from the movie Elf. Oh. (laughs) When the midget shows up. (laughs) Oh, when it's, uh, yeah. (laughs) Peter Dinklage. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was so interesting because, like, nowadays there's so many basic criteria of, like, what you have to look like to even be considered a someone to run for president. So someone being five, four would probably not qualify nowadays. Oh no, no, they probably just send him back to Charlie, you know, Willy Wonka's factory. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, you know, even just like as late as, uh, you know, the, the 1940s, like Franklin Delano Roosevelt being in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Like I, I learned that, that he tried to hide the fact that he was, it's one of those like unspoken things. Like, yeah, people know he has polio, but, like, when he's sitting in his chair, he'd drape his jacket over it so that, like, it looked like he was just sitting down and not mm. in a wheelchair. But even then, it was, like, like you had to be kind of self-conscious about that because that could wreck your public image. And then it's, like, good luck getting reelected, Hot Wheels, you know? <laughs> like He did it twice, though. <laughs> four times. Yeah, he got reelected four times. Yeah. He, you know, I mean, the last time he he died of polio. So then, um, mm. oh, what the heck was his name? Eisenhower. Uh, Truman. Truman. Truman, yes. Yeah, I was thinking Eisenhower, too, but I was like, no, that's not right. Yeah, Truman took over and dropped the bombs, but uh, but yeah, I mean, image is so important with, with like, leadership, when really it should be about, like, the quality that they bring, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Like, I would vote for someone with, like, a lisp that really knows what they're talking about when they talk over, like, you know, Brendan Fraser. I don't know, man. Brendan Fraser is handsome. I'd, I'd vote for Brendan Fraser. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I've been listening to this uh, 
history podcast called Presidential where they just kind of like go through and talk about like every president for like 40 minutes and they move on to the next one in the next episode. Uh, James Buchanan. Uh, he's known as like the the bachelor president, but like there's records that kind of show that he was gay. Really? Um, yeah, it was really interesting. The uh, um, his lover was the vice president of uh the president before him. Fuck, I forgot his name. Uh, the president but, before him. Ooh, that would have been. Oh, I'm drunk. <laughs> have been the fourteenth. Son of a gun. Uh, yeah. Uh, whoever that was, his vice president and James Buchanan were kind of like. It was just kind of accepted that, like, yeah, they live together. They're they're probably lovers, and no one really gave a shit because it's like eighteen forty, you know. Franklin Pierce, that's who Frank, it was, or Alexander Pierce? No, Franklin Frank, Pierce. Uh, Franklin, Franklin Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. Um. So I was like, oh, that's so interesting because like they didn't have a title for gay or anything like that in the eighteen hundreds. It was just they just kind of accepted it and went on. So so interesting how you know a hundred years later that completely flip flopped. Hey, so not to not to derail or anything, but I just googled Franklin Pierce. And you know that thing on Google where it's like, people also ask? Mm-hmm. The second option is, which president ran over a woman with his horse? What? Like, what the hell? <laughs> is there an answer? <laughs> Franklin Pierce. Fuck yeah, Franklin Pierce. Good job. <laughs> ran over a woman with his horse. What a dude. Um, <laughs> you I, just, like, freaking right of the Rohirrims are, apparently. Um, Franklin Pierce <laughs> has kind of a sad backstory, too, because his son died in a train wreck. Like the week, like a week after he was like voted to win, so it was before his inauguration. So, so you know the, who also had a surprisingly sad time as president was uh, Abraham Lincoln. Mm. Yeah, like like right in the and not to derail too much because I know we, we were going to focus on the War of eighteen twelve, but um, yeah, like eighteen sixty two, it's like the darkest time of the war. Like the Eastern Theater, they they cannot take Richmond. Like they're like you know. They just keep losing over and over. And then in the Western theater, it's like, yeah, we're winning, but how many thousands of people are dying every single engagement, you know? So it's just mm-hmm. like, like bad news coming from all sides. And uh, at that point, like Britain joining the war for the South was still a possibility, you know? And amidst all of that, Lincoln's youngest son, Willie, dies. Oh. And it's like, poor dude. Like, he's trying to protect the country and you got to... Th- you just kind of imagine what he would have felt then. It's like, he, if how can he protect the country if he can't even protect his own family? You mm-hmm. know, just like poor dude. I just can't. I, I can't imagine what that would be like. You know. Yeah, Lincoln has a pretty tragic backstory in general. Like his mom died when he was very young. Yeah, freaking vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then even before he even got inaugurated, the fact that he won seven states seceded. Uh, from the Union at that point. So even before he gets inaugurated, like, the nation's already broken in half. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know something, too, is that most of the southern states didn't even include him on the ballot because they thought it was a waste of ink. Mm. And it's like, who's going to vote for that clown? And then it's like, the entire North does. That's and it's like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> yeah, because that's a, that's a debate I had the kids do, whether or not Lincoln's inauguration should happen. Uh, because from the North, or whether, let me rephrase, it's... um. Uh, whether or not the South should be allowed to secede. Mm. Because really, you know, when you get down to like, you know, you know, everyone can agree that slavery is wrong, which it is, you know, like no human being should be treated like that. Right. Um, but if you look at it, like from a political stance, you know, you have the North that controls the House of Representatives because mm-hmm. they have 70% of the population. And then with California being added as a free state and Oregon and eventually Washington, they control the Senate. 
So they control both lawmaking groups in the country. And then with Lincoln, they, they win the presidency, the North does, without winning a single Southern state. And it's like, at that point, the South is like, what are we even doing here? You know, right. let's make our own government that doesn't, you know, that, that aligns with our values, which unfortunately was slavery, you know, mm. but like, you can kind of understand where they're coming from just as like a, like, why are we even part of this if none of our people are getting to make decisions, you know? Yeah, that's so interesting. And I always thought in school, I know like originally we talked about, we're going to say War, War of 1812, we're just all American history right now. Um, as far back as John Adams and his son, John Quincy Adams, they were pro anti-slavery or they were anti-slavery. So like, even when the founding father fathers were starting the country, there was still a big debate of should it be slavery or not? Right. Yeah. Cause that's even Thomas Jefferson. He's one of these guys, you know, he had like the ones, like probably the biggest library in the 13 colonies, like biggest personal collection of books, at least. And, uh, he, he himself owned slaves, but recognized that it was wrong, but he also didn't know how to fix it, you know, mm. because it's not just like a, like set them all free, let them all do their own thing. There's also the question of like, how do we house them? How do we feed them? How do we, uh, you know, teach them to read and write in like a mass way? You know, mm. how do we educate like 3 million people? How do we, um, you know, ensure that they have like life skills that they mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily have had growing up as a slave. Cause there's so many restrictions that they had, you know, it's, it's like a crash course in your, like becoming an adult essentially, you know? Right. And that's not to say that, that that's kind of a sweeping generalization, but like, you know, that was a big problem they had to tackle in reconstruction is like, how do we get this group of people that have been put down for so long to be self-sufficient on par with everyone else? And so it's one of those, uh, like Jefferson's like, yeah, I own slaves, but I don't like it. Mm -hmm. And he, he uh, even I read in the Declaration of Independence, the first draft, um, he had a whole section in there just completely ripping slavery, a new asshole, uh, the the institution of slavery and stuff. And, and uh, Ben Franklin made him take it out because then the uh, like the southern states would not sign it if that was kept in. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Like you're saying, though, it's one of those things everyone recognizes it's wrong. It's just like, you know, how do we fix it? That was the right. big question, you know? Yeah, that's interesting because, like, it. I mean, growing up in the '90s, it was pretty much just, yeah, founding fathers, so, you know, Revolutionary War, everything's good, no one cares about slavery. Then, oh, and Lincoln comes to office, now everyone hates slavery, and they go to war. Like that's kind of how I remember being taught in school. But it was, it's not like that at all. It was a big issue throughout the entire American history at that point. Well, right, yeah, that's like the original sin of this country. You know, mm -hmm. when we used to, I used to teach our curriculum. It was Lewis and Clark through World War One. And the way I would frame it to the kids is like our country at that point had relatively new, you know, less than 20, like less than 30 years old, mm -hmm. had just been established. And it's like there's questions that our country had to figure out before we could take our place on a world stage, you know. And two of those, those two big questions were what do we do with African-American slaves and what do we do with Native Americans? Mm -hmm. And by, you know, the 18, late 1800s, they effectively answered both of those questions. And that's also the point where you get around to like Spanish-American War and the whole, uh, you know, we kind of run out of destiny to manifest. And so we start looking for naval bases like Guam and Puerto Rico and Philippines. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting in itself, too. Um, so, yeah, yeah, let's let's get back to the War of 1812. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why... So it's only like 25, 30 years after the Revolutionary War. Uh, do, you, do you know if it's still the same king in England? Is it still King George? Um, I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure it's King George's kid. Okay. 
So wh- why is England like? Uh, is their plan to like beat America to make them a colony again, or do they have another plan? So kind of the the big picture is that Napoleonic Wars are going on. So kind of to take a step back, um, you know, we had the American Revolution, rah rah, go America, freedom, Thomas Jefferson, woohoo, you know, right? And we ally with the French, and uh, a lot of the French soldiers and French commanders that came over here were helping us specifically because we had big ideas in our country. Because um, back then, generally speaking, if you, you know, you had monarchies and sometimes you had like a parliament, but generally it was like the king kind of running the show. And so if you had uh, a bad king, you know, then you're just stuck with them until they die. And hopefully right. that person's kid is not a piece of shit, you know? And so in America here, we had these big ideas from like the kind of like enlightenment kind of, you know, big philosophical Thomas Paine kind of ideas. Like, you know, we have the power to change our government. If a government's corrupt, then the people need to oust that government and replace it with a better one. All people have, you know, uh, what does he call it? Uh, Inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, these big ideas that were still relatively new back then. And so the French are helping us, hoping that they can prove that it works here. Like if it works here in America, it can work anywhere. And so then they could take those ideas back to France because their king was kind of a piece of shit. Right. And they wanted to uh, essentially overthrow their own government and make a better one. Cause they had a system where it was three estates. There was the nobility, the there's the nobility, the church and essentially the working class. And so the nobility and the church were constantly teaming up to make the working class pay more taxes and make their lives miserable. So anyway, long story short, uh, France starts their own revolution, just like we had. Uh, big difference being that a lot of their good leadership died off in the first few years. And so they didn't have a Washington. They didn't have a Thomas Jefferson. They didn't have a Henry Knox. You know, they, they're left with their B-string and C-string leaders who are all kind of corrupt in their own right. Mm-hmm. And so their revolution is just a disaster. And so what ends up happening over the course of like 10 years is that they uh, – you know, this guy named Napoleon Bonaparte, who's really charismatic, man of the people, he's a general, you know, he's got a list of uh, accomplishments 10 miles long. He rises up out of the French Revolution and galvanizes all of France to attack um, the rest of Europe. Because while France was fighting their own internal struggles, you know, these other monarchies in Europe are like, holy shit, we can't let these ideas get out of hand. (laughs) And so, like, England attacked France, and, like, the Austrians attacked France, and, like, the Netherlands attacked France, and they pretty much, everyone is ganging up on France while France is ganging up on themselves. And so, France comes out of that furnace, uh, you know, pretty much, like, stronger than ever, and so they're ready to do some ass-kicking. Okay. And so, Britain is totally involved with the, the Napoleonic Wars, because they're one channel away, you know? Right. It's like ESPN and CNN, just one ch- <laughs> you know, and uh, so anyway, yeah, basically what that means is then if they're going to protect their island, they need to be a, the strongest naval power out there because, it, you know, the airplane doesn't exist. So if you're going to reach England, you got to sail there. Mm-hmm. So they up their naval fleet to about a thousand ships, which just kind of as an aside compared to the American fleet was 17 ships. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So England starts to like dominate the waves. And this is the first time we see England really become the the naval stronghold that they are known for? Right, yeah, because they really up it to defend their island. Okay. And uh, so anyway, essentially think of it like like England and America had kind of been glaring at each other across the Atlantic, and England turns their back on North America to fight the Napoleonic Wars, which is literally a fight for survival for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so because of that, they need more sailors. 
And uh, back then, citizenship was a really tricky thing. So, like, you could just say, oh, I'm from, you know, I'm, I'm Dutch, I'm Spanish, I'm whatever. And, like, there wasn't, like a, like, a database where you could track or, like, an ID to be like, oh, you're not from the Philippines mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. And so, pretty much, you have American and British sailors working side by side. And depending on where they are, they'll just tell people, that, oh, I'm an American. Oh, I'm British, you know. Whatever is more advantageous at the time. So, the British start to do this policy called impressment where they would uh, like a, like a British galleon, like a, like a warship kind of deal would go up to a merchant ship and basically just steal the crew and force them to work on British ships to strengthen up their Navy. Okay. Yeah. So it's almost like kidnapping. I right. mean, essentially it is kidnapping, you know, it's taking people that are working on a, on a merchant sailor ship napping. forcing. Yeah. Yeah. Sailor napping. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that really pisses off the, the 13, well, I guess it'd be more than that. It really pisses off the United States at this point. Now, the um, Louisiana because... purchase already happened at this point, right? Correct. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, so we're not even to the to the war yet. So, so they're they're looking, they're they're fighting uh, France. They're boosting up their naval numbers. They're so now they're turning their attention back to America. Well, yeah, because eventually, see, um, and it's kind of funny how it all happened. Like, if you look at the causes of this war, it's almost like a comedy of errors. So, like, um, I, I heard one uh, statistic, I, I forget exactly what the percentage was, but it was like over half of the sailors that England was impressing onto their ships were British anyway. So it's really like they're just taking their own people back to fight in this war that could consume their island, you know? Okay. And uh, so anyway, they they took like a few Americans, though, and the Americans are all like, oh, those sons of bitches, those tea drinking bastards, you know. And so uh, Congress decides to declare war on England, you know, officially starting the War of 1812. And oh, America starts at first. Right. Wow. What they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were super pissed at England. I feel like they they're like, hey, quit taking Americans, you know. Okay. And so pretty much what they didn't know was that. Uh, that impressment was unpopular in America, but it was also unpopular in Britain. Everyone in England, when they heard their ships were doing this, they're like, dudes, what the fuck? Like, you're just kidnapping people? Like, we can fight our own wars. We don't need to steal people to do this for <laughs> us, you know? And so, Parliament had actually outlawed the practice of impressment two weeks before America declared independence. But they didn't get the message over there because it's like a two and a half, three month boat ride. Mm-hmm. So, like, they'd already stopped the thing that was pissing America off and just did not have the capacity to tell them yet. So the Americans, like, they declare war, and then, like, two months later, they get this note that they're like, oh, yeah, the reason we declared war is, like, not a problem anymore. Meh. So they just keep it going? <laughs> exactly. Keep it rolling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just keep it rolling. It was also, so uh, America's only officially declared war, quote-unquote, five times in our history, um, which, you know, most people debate because it is debatable, but officially Congress has only ever held a vote to declare war five times, officially speaking. And so this is the one that was the closest margin, uh, for the vote. Um, and actually I have it pulled up here. Uh, let's see, because I mean, it really was divisive. Like some people just wanted to like not get involved and mm-hmm. other people are like, no, those British sons of bitches are stealing our people. And then the opposition is like, yeah, like five of them, you know. <laughs> uh, so the, the House of Representatives was 79 to 49. And then the Senate was 19 to 13. So oh, a wow. very, like the closest margin that we've ever had for declaring war. Yeah, that's pretty close. 
So, war is declared. How long before the first battle? What is the first battle? Do you know? Because my interpretation is, I always thought England just kind of showed up and burnt down the White House because they wanted to. <laughs> well, that's... Uh, that's uh... <laughs> It, they did want to, but after a certain point, see, because their back is turned, like their main focus is on stopping Napoleon. And so while their back is turned, uh, some Americans get it, the idea in their head. They're like, hey, you know, we were a colony and we wanted freedom and we got it. Canada is a colony. They must want freedom. So let's give it to them, you know? Oh, and so. <laughs> Right. And so at this point, the American army, which under Washington had been like amazing, you know, but we also had a lot of help, Mm -hmm. um, had dwindled down to between 10 and 12,000 people who were like drunk most of the time and like could not fight and they looked like Homer Simpson, you know? Okay. The uh, the American army did. And so they're not ready to fight a war because a lot of the redcoats that fought in the revolution just stayed in Canada, you know, after the war. Same with loyalists. There's a ton of loyalists that like moved to Nova Scotia. But anyway... Um, Hmm. yeah. So like, we're just not, it would be like, uh, you know, like this, like high school wrestling person who's like on the B team, you know, going up against like Muhammad Ali on his day off, you Mm. know? Okay. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, the, so we decided we're going to invade Canada, Canada to set them free, which they have not asked for and they don't want. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so while England's back is turned, we tried it. We try to do that. There was a general uh, by the name, uh, let's see, something Hull. It's like General Hull, I believe. Okay. Uh, William Hull. He was a Michigan territorial governor, William Hull. He led uh, U.S. forces into Canada uh, from Fort Detroit. But as soon as he got into Canada, he realized that the British and the Indians outnumbered him like crazy. And he's like, ah, abort, abort. <laughs> and so he goes into the border actually looks at who he's fighting and then hightails it back to Fort Detroit. And the British and Canadians are like, dude, you can't just do us like that. And so they chase him back and <laughs> capture his wife and his kid. Oh no. And so he, he gives up Fort Detroit and basically like all of the Michigan territory without a fight, without a shot. And so it wow. starts off just like a colossal disaster for and that, the Americans. That's yeah. technically part of the war of 1812. Mm-hmm. That's like the, uh, the first, Real engagement, you could wow. call it. The first engagement that happened without firing a single shot. Now, I've always heard, but I never learned about it in school, but heard about it in school, that America didn't invade Canada, got smoked. Was this the only instance? Is this the instance they're talking about? No, so also, see, because a lot of the, uh, like, the New England and kind of like upper, like upper New York, you know, and the New England colonies, they were the ones that didn't support the war. And so when our army comes around to try to take over, like, Montreal and Quebec, that's like the territory that they're going toward. And so they had all the state militias helping out, but the militias decided that they were not going to invade Canada with the rest of the army. So imagine like, like marching up to the line thinking you have like, yeah, 25,000 troops. Hell yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And then the second you step over only like 6,000 go with you. Oh God. Yeah. So they try to do that. And as you can predict, it's uh, just a disaster. It was a uh, U.S. Brigadier General Henry Dearborn. Couldn't attack Montreal because of his uncooperative New England militias because they just did not support the war and they're not going to fight for a cause they don't believe in. So they basically went home and uh, he just gets his shit stomped by the British who are up there. And and that is part of 1812 or not? Okay. Yep. All right. So at one point, does England decide? So what, what happens with England and France? Do they settle their stuff? Then England comes to America or, or how does that work from there? 
Right. So what ends up happening is Napoleon, uh, Napoleon, Napoleon, like bulldozes all of Europe. He gets to Russia and Russia and England were still trading very heavily. And so he tried to impose restrictions on that. And England and Russia are basically like, screw you. We're not going to listen to you. And Russia's like, what are you going to do? Attack us in the winter? <laughs> and Napoleon was like, good idea. And so he does that. And uh, he takes his whole grand army and he goes and attacks them and winter hits. And uh, there's this wonderful, awful graphic that I saw where it showed like the strength of his army as, as like a kind of like a line graph. And it just as soon as like September, October comes around, like just straight to the ground, you know, mm-hmm. out of like 400 or 200, 400,000 troops, he's left with like 15,000, like, like barely enough to start a restaurant, you know? Wow. Okay. And so, yeah, that that's kind of the eclipse of, of France's power. And so with that, then, now that England's got a minute to breathe, all these reports start trickling in from Canada that, hey, these Americans are acting up like they're they're kind of they're kind of getting testy over here. Maybe you want to help us out. England's like, wait, what happened? And at that point, America's waist deep in this war. And we're like, nothing, nothing, no evidence <laughs> here. And England's like, oh, no, you didn't. And so that's when they they send over a huge ass army to get revenge on the Americans who tried to take one of their colonies. That's so wild. So, God, I, I, I'm, my mind's kind of blown right now. So the War of 1812 is literally them saying, hey, England, stop taking our people, even though it was only like five or six. So then they decide, well, let's go to Canada and free Canada. And then they get pretty much smoked. And then England decides, okay, now that we're aware of this fully, we're going to come to you. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Pretty much, yeah. Now that they now they got a minute to breathe, they're like, okay, now we can go kick some ass in Canada, you know, and like make these Americans pay for trying to take over another one of our colonies. So do they does England mainly just garrison up Canada and is most of the battles in Canada or is the the battles take place in America also or the United States, I should say. Yeah. So they they start to gear up Canada a bit. And then they uh, like the one of the biggest naval battles happens in like Lake Michigan. Really? Which that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, there was a naval battle in Lake Michigan. It was uh, the American Navy versus Canadian uh, Canadian slash British Navy. Interesting. And uh, yeah, that one was an American victory, I believe. Um, I might have my timeline a little bit wrong there, but I know that that naval battle happens. There's a naval battle that happens, and the Americans win. Uh, the British also take like I think it was eighteen or twenty thousand troops, and that's where they go up the uh, Chesapeake Bay and they unload them. And there's this whole hurried. Um, what do you call it? Hurried, like uh, retreat evacuation, if you will, of Washington, D.C., because the British are coming to burn down the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so pretty much the British feel justified because uh, the Americans attacked like this town called York up in Canada and basically like torched the place. And so the British are like, oh, screw you. You take out our city. We'll take out your city. And so that's like the point where the British really mean business, you know, mm-hmm. like they're they're coming to kick some ass and chew some bubble gum and they ran out of bubble gum like two months ago <laughs> um yeah i i the podcast I was, I was listening to about monroe um he wasn't at, in the capital at the time but his wife was so while the british were coming she was like no i'm gonna stay here like this is my home but like everyone in the capital was like no you gotta get the fuck out like if you're kidnapped that's bad so she's like at last minute dragging her feet finally leaves but before she does she's like hey i need you to save that painting of george washington and everyone's like what the fuck are you talking about like yeah just take it out of the frame and let's take it and let's go so like she manages to get this 
painting of Washington saved while she's like barely leaving the Capitol in time before they burn it down. So that was just, Oh a, yeah. That was yeah. Interesting. Cause, well, yeah. Cause part of the deal with that too, is like they couldn't get the frame off of the wall yeah. because it was like nailed in. And so what they ended up doing was they took like a steak knife and they just cut out like the border of the picture. And then they rolled it up and put it in the carriage, like literally minutes before the British army showed up. Yeah. That, that's, that's always an interesting story. Um, yeah. So, at what point in the war is the White House burnt down? Right. So, that happens in 1814. Okay. Uh, the British land their huge-ass army. Um, there is a battle at, uh, let's see, Fort McHenry. Who uh, It's my understanding they're trying to, like, stop the British ships from reaching up the Chesapeake Bay to unload. And uh, Francis Scott Key is an American soldier who was captured by the British, and he's kept in, like, a prison cell. And there's, like the one little window out from his little cell where you can kind of watch the battle. And he, uh, it inspires him to write the star spangled banner, mm-hmm. uh, because he, uh, you know, this battle is just like open them up, like here, a bang, there, a bang everywhere. A bang, bang. The whole place is going nuts. Fort McHenry's there getting the shit beat out of it. And they're just like anything they can. And like this tattered American flag is waiting, waving above the fort and he goes to bed and he wakes up and the flag is still there. And he's just like super moved by that image of, of the American flag, just like still like defiantly hanging against the British assault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a very famous story for Americans. Um, so how, when does the war end? Right. So what ends up happening is the, uh, you know, Napoleon comes back, he uh, gets exiled to Elba and then he is able to escape lands in the Southern France. And uh, it's really kind of funny because, you know, like they got the new King in there. I think it was Louis the 15th. Maybe 16th. They all, they tend to blend together after Louis the 10th, you know? Right. And uh, so, so anyway, Napoleon comes back. He's like chilling there on the beach with like a handful of like super loyalist dudes, you know? And this cavalry brigade shows up to take him in. And Napoleon, they basically like, they're just there like, Napoleon, we have orders to bring you in by order of the king. And he's like, what king? And they, they're like, oh, the new king. And he's like, fuck the new king. <laughs> and so Napoleon like stands up on a rock and gives this like the most patriotic speech you could imagine. And that entire cavalry brigade turns sides and now they fight for him. Okay. Yeah. And so Napoleon sweeps back into Paris, takes control again. And now it's like Napoleonic Wars round two. And England's kind of gearing up for that once again. And so, you know, their their attention is split. And so meanwhile, you have uh, the Battle of Horseshoe Bend, where the uh, the Americans um, under Andrew Jackson, they defeat the uh, the Red Stick Creeks, who's a group of Native Americans, Um, because this this also kind of this is the Tennessee Volunteers under Jackson, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, so they defeat a Native American tribe that was heavily allied with the, the Canadians, you know, because really it's it's us versus the Canadians, the British and the Native Americans. Like mm-hmm. we have very few, if any, allies here in this war. And so Jackson kicks their ass and pretty much puts them down. Um, there's a naval battle in Lake Michigan where the Americans win. And uh, see, the British destroy Washington, D.C., and then they move on to Baltimore but there's so much resistance that they don't get very far. And eventually they, their, their attack just kind of peters out, you know? Okay. And uh, so when you put all of that together with the fact that like, it's just not like everyone just kind of takes a minute and they're like, what are we even fighting for anymore? You know, both sides just kind of end up losing interest. There's a couple of American victories. There's battle of horseshoe bend. There's uh, the battle of new Orleans where the Americans win. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another battle that made 
um, Jackson Famous. I, I'm drawing a blank on the name though. It's uh, is that the one where he he goes into uh, Florida and fucks up the Spanish? That was that was a little different. That happens in like 1819 or eighteen twenty. That was the Seminole War. Okay, that's post War of eighteen twelve. Right. Okay. But yeah, so it's one of those. You know, both sides end up just kind of having bigger priorities, like uh, England's yeah. like, why are we here still? Because they're 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 taking losses again. They're like kind of the same thing from the Revolutionary War. They're like, we're we're spending more money than we're getting out of it, pretty much. Well, yeah, yeah. It's like neither side is really gaining ground. Like at first, it looked like the Americans are losing, but then they kind of come back once they get their groove back, you know. And uh, win some battles. And so the British are like, do we really want to fight another American revolution here? We have nothing to gain. You know, we're only mm-hmm. losing. And uh, with Napoleon coming back, it's like, now we got to worry about him again. And so who's the bigger threat? Is it these colonies that we don't really care about? Or is it the guy that can burn down our island on a whim, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they end up joining the, uh, let's see, would that have been the sixth coalition? Seventh? Co- I think it was the seventh coalition. Uh, against Napoleon, where it's them, Austria, and Prussia. I think Prussia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds right. But um, that's where like Duke of Wellington does the whole, whole Battle of Waterloo and and everything. Mm. But um, yeah, so so pretty much when it comes to the bargaining table, you know, they the both sides meet in this place called Ghent, which is in Belgium nowadays, and I, I believe it was in Belgium then. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, <laughs> they both meet and it's, the vibe is just like, why are we fighting? Oh yeah. You guys were taking our sailors, which we didn't like, but you've stopped doing that. And we were trying to attack Canada, but they've kind of fought us off at every turn and we haven't gained anything. And so both sides signed this thing. Uh, Russia, fun fact, Russia decides to, uh, mediate or they at least volunteer to mediate the conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, both sides end up signing the Treaty of Ghent. And after that, the most famous battle of the war happens, which is the, uh, you know, the Battle of New Orleans there. Okay. You know? It was the same kind of thing where it's like, you know, the like the problem that we had, we declare war before we find out that it's fixed. And we fight this battle before we find out that the war is already ended. Like, they've already signed the peace treaty and we're fine. And then this battle happens. And then, like, very soon afterwards, they're like, oh, wait, when did the war end? Before <laughs> the battle? Ugh, you know? But at that point, it's just communication, right? Like, there's no... Is there any punishments deal to that? Or is it just like, ah, we could... You guys didn't know. No, so pretty much, yeah, There, there's no recompense. There's no uh, comeuppance. It's just, like, both sides are like, well, okay, we just did an extra battle. Overachievers. Sucks to suck. <laughs> yeah. Where's the door? <laughs> and so after this, after this war, it's like nothing changes. Like we don't gain any Canada. They decide to give Michigan back. Like we come out of it thinking that we won because we held our own against essentially three factions, the British, the natives and the Canadians. Mm-hmm. And Canada thinks that they won because they got to keep being part of like the, the British colonies. You know, they weren't uh, forcibly freed by the Americans, quote unquote. Mm hmm. It just, it reminds me of that scene from Rogue One where K2SO like slams Jyn Erso on the ground and he's like, you are being rescued. Do not try to just try to uh, resist. That's basically what the Americans are doing to Canada. Okay. 
So on the a lot of times in peace treaties, there's like a negotiation of what will happen. So from what happened to this, we get America gets Michigan back. Does England get anything in return, or is it just pretty much like we're done? <laughs> yeah, they're they're vic- they're uh, what do you call it? Their prize at the end is that they don't have to worry about us anymore. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. So let's do a little theoretical thinking. What do you think would have happened if some big major things happened, not in America's favor, and England really comes in and continues to crush America? Do you think they become subservient to England again? Or do you think England just says, no, you guys are on your own, you guys are fucked, and America just kind of flanders and fails? Or what do you think happens? So here's my opinion. And granted, it is just an opinion. You know, like... Like, anyone out there could have it, uh, you'd be like, oh, this guy's talking bullshit, you know, or whatever. But, like, you know, when when the American colonies were fighting against England, like, that was England's time. You know, that was them at the peak of their power, and us at the the trench of our power, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if they couldn't beat us then, I doubt that they could have, in the long term, beat us in the War of 1812. Because our population had exploded. I mean, even just settlers moving across the, the Appalachian Mountains, there's over 400 people that had moved into the new Indian Reserve. Okay. You know? And so, like, I, I doubt that England could have made any kind of lasting hold on the American states, just because at that point we were so much... Like, it was only 30 years. We were already so much stronger than we were. Okay. And uh, so much more self-sufficient also. Like, in the Revolution, you know, we relied so heavily on our allies... Like, uh, basically, Spain was keeping Britain busy in the Caribbean, you know, kind of drawing some of their ships off so that the Dutch and the French could load over their supplies and money and equipment and everything. And at this point in our country's history, you know, we can make our own guns. We can make our own ships and our own weapons and stuff. And so, yeah. They're starting I, to trade cotton and tobacco and stuff exactly. on their own. So they have their own economy or America has their own economy. Right. And it's like we're getting more self-sufficient. So I, I doubt that, like, we... we uh, we basically stalemated this thing without any with any real allies, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I doubt that, like, England could have... I mean, they, they took Washington, D.C. I doubt they could have made any kind of meaningful hold on America without, in the long term, just bleeding themselves, you know? Okay. So, okay, that's interesting. So, so you don't even think it would be a possibility that England come out on top here? Oh, no way. Because okay. then also, uh, there's also the fact, too, that after the war... Like 40,000 loyalists moved out of the colonies. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of those things like pretty much no one in the country would have supported English rule again, you know? Like that mm-hmm. faction that did during the revolution had already left. So what you're left with then is people that are like, oh, screw you, England, we're America. And like they're never going to go back to that kind of deal. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's very insightful, Ben. I like now, that opinion. On, on, the, on the flip side, so that's, that's from England's perspective, you know, England and America's relationship. Like, I, f- I feel like that that window of when they could have controlled the colonies indefinitely had already closed. Um, with the Native Americans, though, uh, they see there is a, a Native American chief. Uh, let me find his name. I believe it's Tecumseh. That sounds familiar. And uh, so he what he was trying to do, because, you know, he was allies with the Canadians. He did not want these settlers moving west into their uh, ancestral homeland where they'd been for basically ever, you know, Um so pretty much what he was trying to do during the war was galvanize the Indians into their own kind of political military faction so that they could resist the Americans on their own, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so the fact, like, once the war stopped and the Canadians kind of went home and the Americans continued to push west, it's like, there goes their strongest ally. 
And, um, you know, there's just so much infighting amongst the Native American tribes as well, where it's like, you know, if they had been able to unite under one banner, like one Native American banner under Tecumseh, then they probably could have held off like our expansion a little better than what it, what ended up happening. Right. Um, Cause that's a whole nother history lesson in itself, because there was, what do they call it when it was the, the six nations kind of like became kind of white is what they called it. It was like the Cherokee and some other ones were like, no, we'll allow ourselves to be kind of like, um, they allowed themselves to be kind of turned white. Like they dressed white and they went to local white schools I might be talking on my ass here. But. No, you're good. Yeah, it's the it, that was with the uh, the Cherokee. Uh, let's see, it was Cherokee, Seminole, Chicktaw, Chicksaw, Choctaw, and I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, down in the southeast, there were like the five civilized tribes, quote unquote. Yeah, that's what it was. And, civilized uh, tribes. Yeah, they tried to like Americanize themselves, and it ended up doing no good. You know, mm-hmm. um, because you got you know dickhead Andrew Jackson. I have no respect for Andrew Jackson. Like if I could go back in time and fight one president, it would easily be Andrew Jackson. <laughs> I'm not certain I would win, but that's a battle that needs to be fought. You know, old hickory. Yeah. I would kick that motherfucker's ass. Yeah. Pardon my French. No, he, uh, he's a very controversial history figure. I'm on the side of fuck Jackson because of the trail of tears and just his, his slaughtering of, you know, a lot of innocent people. Um, so, yeah, right. And there's a there's even um, kind of connecting this to, uh, you know, like like a like the connecting the War of 1812 lasting impacts to the Trail of Tears. Um, there was a Native American chief named Jun- Chief Junaluska who fought alongside Jackson. Him and his uh, warriors fought alongside Jackson and the Americans at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend. And there was a point in the battle where one of the enemy Native American tribes, their tomahawk just about hit Jackson square in the skull. Would have ended his career right there like mm-hmm. a tomahawk to the brains, you know, and Jenna Luska stepped in the way and knocked the guy out, saving Jackson's life. And so when it came time for the Trail of Tears, when the, the Cherokee were being removed, um, Jenna Luska was part of the peace commission that went to, the, you know, they rode their horses to the White House, begging Andrew Jackson to, to not relocate them. Mm-hmm. And Jackson wouldn't even let them in the door. He says, nope, your time has ended, you know, and so yeah. there's a, a letter written by a soldier uh, that I have the kids read about the Trail of Tears. One of these uh, Americans who was actually like like one of the people removing the Cherokees. And uh, that was a scene that he witnessed where Chief Genaleska says to his people, if I'd have known then what I knew now, you know, that battle would have ended very differently. Mm-hmm. It's like he, uh, you know, he puts his neck on the line to save Andrew Jackson. And then when it really matters, Jackson's not there for him. Right. And then with the with the Native American relocation, that just opens up more more land for slave owners to take hold and expand slavery even more in the South, uh, more so than it was. So yeah, a lot of bad things happened because of that whole situation. Right, and it's it's one of those things like you know coming back to the War of eighteen twelve. It's like the war itself did not have that many short term impacts, you mm-hmm. know, but the long term impacts politically speaking with Andrew Jackson. You know, uh, migration speaking with the Americans moving west and now it's kind of a, you know, they can manifest their destiny even harder. Like uh, there's I feel like with this one, it's weird because there's more long term impacts than short term impacts. Mm hmm. Uh, kind of similar to World War One in that regard. World War One has a lot of long term impacts that we're still seeing today. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was the first seminal catastrophe. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh 
like a perfect storm of all this crap coming together and it's unavoidable and just kind of a after the war everyone the people that are left are just like wait why did we fight again mm-hmm. yeah uh any closing thoughts about the the war while we wrap up here ben well war of 1812 if i had to summarize it i would say it's the most important appendix to any history book <laughs> very well put <laughs> Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks for listening to our history show here. Um, ever since I've started podcasting, I've always wanted to do a history podcast with Ben, but we're both just really too busy to make it happen. Maybe someday in the future when my podcast empire grows, but this is just a way to kind of wet my whistle and, uh, you know, Ben's willing to humor me here. So we did the the history podcast here today. But uh, we're going to let you go today, guys. And uh, thanks for listening. And until that next time. Stay sexy.